Welcome into the Sports Desk Report brought to you by the Daily Emerald. I'm Aaron Heisen, the Sports Desk Editor, and today we will be joined by Nina Grace, our volleyball reporter, and Elliot Danes, our women's soccer beat reporter. Welcome in, Nina. You've been reporting on all the volleyball games uh, this season. Uh, you've been writing recaps, and the most recent games were against two Big Ten opponents. Just, you know, how is the state of the team? How are they doing? Take us through that. Yeah, so the team's been doing really well. Um, they were just handed their first two losses of the season over the Big Ten Pac-12 challenge over in Minneapolis. But despite the two losses, they battled the entire time. Um, the first game was against Minnesota. They're ranked number three in the country. Um, and they they made them work for it. It went four sets, insane insane game the entire time. I think the biggest point differential was four or five. Um, and then the next day they play number 20 Penn State. Penn State's always been a powerhouse volleyball program. Uh, they went to five sets and then lost it at the very end. Um, I think it's still going to be exciting. They have great defense. They have All-Americans uh, on their front row, and then they have great setters. So it's just going to be an exciting season. Yeah, so it's the beginning of the season. Where do you see this Oregon volleyball team going? Are they a Pac-12 championship contender? Do they have a chance to make a playoff run? I think they are. I think they're definitely a contender with some of the pieces they just got. I think right now they need to work on gelling together. Um, they haven't played together very often. We have a lot of younger girls and a lot of transfers coming in this season. So I think it just takes time, like how it does with anything, just getting used to one another. But I really do think they're a contender this year. As you mentioned, the Penn State team is a very storied program. What does Oregon playing against these Big Ten teams do for Oregon as a program and just, I guess, their exposure? Yeah, I think it prepares them for Pac-12 play. Um, Pac-12 is one of the toughest um, conferences for volleyball. Um, so I think it just prepares them. It gives them that time to gel, especially against highly ranked components. Mm-hmm. So you wrote a uh, feature, you're writing a feature at a moment that's going to come out in print in a few days on one of Oregon's new players, setter Hannah Pukis. She transferred from Washington State. Just take us through, you know, why you wanted to write that story about her and what it's about. Yeah, so I came up with the story idea when I was watching the first game against Minnesota. She had 52 assists. And usually as a setter, like, that's kind of expected to have high numbers like that because, like, it's in volleyball, theoretically, they're supposed to touch the ball every second. Um, But just watching her play, it was just so mesmerizing. She's everywhere and somehow gets back to where she needs to be just in time. Um, So then I started doing some research and just her story was really cool. Uh, She started taking visits at 14 and kind of decided right there that that's where she wanted to go to Washington State. She graduated and then had some extra eligibility left because she redshirted her freshman year, came to Oregon and has put on a show ever since. Awesome. And and what's, what are some of your favorite parts of the story? I think it's just, when I interviewed her high school coach and just how they talk about her, that she, she is like that piece that teams want and that they're thriving for when they're going and recruiting in the off season, they're looking for a Hannah Pucas. And so I think Oregon really scored with this one. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nina. Of course. Okay. We welcome in Elliot. He's our women's soccer beat reporter. Elliot, you know, looking at the team, how are they doing right now? And what's their outlook on the season? I don't, think they're fully living up to their potential of the talent that they have they're still on a pretty good run uh they drop points to boise which i mean that's a strong team but uh they're kind of 
they're lacking the ability to get shots on goal. I think that's the one thing they're really missing out. They uh, they have the experience. I mean, Zoe Hasnauer and Drew Dadasco are both seniors, and Drew is in her sixth year, and they have the passing ability and understanding of the game to get the ball back and get it forward to the young forwards and strikers to try and get more shots. So I think if they get that down and get more reps with the team, I think that they'll start bouncing back. You talk about the the reps of the team, and I understand they're dealing with some injuries um, with some of their starters. Just you know, how is that hamstringing them this se- this season? Uh, it's definitely it's it's not only hurting the depth of the team; it's hurting the uh, cardio of the other girls that have to pick up the slack because they're not getting as many subs. But uh, Jordan Snyder, she's a senior. She only played one game last year, but she came in. She actually was a defender but they have her playing up top and she scored two games and three or two goals in three games so and that's your first goal as a senior so that's pretty sweet she's kind of filling that wonder sub role mm-hmm. so what do you think the you know how 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 well can they do this year if they kind of get back on track what do you think is a realistic potential for this team uh i think that they definitely can at least make the national tournament but with that, they're going to definitely need to start performing in the conference games that are coming up after Portland. Mm-hmm. What are some of those games you're looking forward to and covering for those conference games? Uh, definitely for conference, I would say UCLA is going to be a big game. Uh, Oregon State's also going to be a huge game. That's usually, I think that's the last game of the season. It's what it was last year. And that usually is the one that tear totters on if this team's going to make the tournament or not. Mm-hmm. So how does that work? Is it similar to football where there's a North and a South and, you know, two teams make the Pac-12 tournament and how big of a game is that usually? Uh, so with last game, it was winner goes on to the tournament, loser leaves. Uh, it just went off records. I'm not sure the exact process of how they decide the teams, but uh it actually ended in a draw and neither team made it. So coming up to this Oregon State game, it's going to be pretty intense with the history, obviously, mm-hmm. with the state rivalry as well. Gotcha. So Elliot is writing a feature for us that's going to be published in the next few days. It's on the women's soccer team head coach, Graham Abel. Elliot, you know, take us through that feature. Why did you want to write it? What's important about it? Uh, I mean... Graham's really turned the team around in his last two seasons. Uh, it's the first time they've had consecutive winning seasons in 40 years. They finished fifth in the Pac-12. And I feel like that kind of turnaround should definitely be noticed and is worthy writing. And also, Abel has a, a wild history of playing uh, youth soccer for Everton's Youth Academy and then coming over to America and slowly climbing the ranks of the assistant coaching ladder and then actually worked on the women's national team that won consecutive World Cups. So he's got a real rich history of soccer and the plans that he's made and executed for the team really shown. Mm -hmm. So how does his coaching style differ from some of the past coaches who haven't been able to find success with Oregon's teams? Uh, I think it's, it's a lot to do with his work ethic and the way that he really supports his student athletes. Uh, He talked about how when new coaches come in, they kind of 
throw a hand grenade at the team and the team they rearrange and switch everything up but he really wanted to win with the team that he had because he really believed in them and thought they had the talent to do it and he's proven he's proven right that if he instills and they buy into what he's what his tactics are and his play style then they can really get find some success Mm -hmm. have you heard any of the players talk about that i guess players coach mindset uh yeah uh, Snyder actually talked about spending a lot of time in the COVID year when she stayed back with coach and they kind of brought bought into that like it's all about hard work and ethic on the field and that grittiness and that's that mindset is what they bought into you can see it in the way they play they're always scrapping they're always ready to work harder than the other team and make the passes needed and willing to win the 50-50 balls especially in the middle mm-hmm so, so I think one of the things that was interesting about your piece is he's he coaches with U.S. team and he doesn't feel very comfortable there, but he feels comfortable as a head coach at a smaller place. You know, what are some of the differences of coaching at such a big organization like the national team and then finding your role now at Oregon? I mean, if you look at just the list of people that were involved in the that national team, and it's it's one of the most dominant soccer teams to ever play the sport. Uh, Jill Ellis, she's a phenomenal head coach. You have Matt Potter, who now coaches uh, at the Kansas City women's team. Um, And, I mean, he worked with the keeper, so he was working with Hope Solo, who is everyone that's like a household name. Uh, So I feel like you're swimming swimming in a big pond if you go to that national team. And Abel talked about having a little bit of imposter syndrome, but – after the first year and a half, he started to learn his ideas and get more secure in himself and not be afraid to ask questions. And I think that that really helped to shape him into the coach that came to Oregon. Mm-hmm. Helped recruiting with the logistics, with how to even just talk to people. So let's talk about your perspective as a beat reporter. What are some of the things that you have access to? And, you know, how does that access give you a deeper look into the team and give you an ability to report on them? Uh, I mean, having access to the media days, being able to go talk to coach or talk to whatever players they send out really uh, gives you more context to the games that are upcoming, gives you more than just the surface outlook. Uh, Being able to talk to the players immediately after the game and get that initial outlook, how this happened, what was going through your mind, it really helps to uh, fully encompass the story of what's going on with the team. And uh, being able to just have access for to sit down with coach for 30 minutes and talk to him about his history and what he looks for in recruits and all of that, it really, you get a good, a good picture of what's going on with the program. Mm-hmm. So when you're going to these games, can you just take us through, you know, a day in the life of going to one of those games and, you know, the angle that you take on the gamer, take us through that. Yeah, I, uh, Usually the day before, day of, I research the the opponent and see, like, get an idea of what's coming to play. Um, And then I try to get to the game about an hour before, and I usually have about a page of notes set up already and a Word doc that I'm going to start working on. Uh, And then kind of watch the team warm up, see what everyone's feeling, get the environment of the game, and then watch the game. I like to uh, handwrite notes in between and then write more of my uh, 
article actually during halftime and during the water breaks because with soccer it's tough because there's no real stoppage of play and if there is it's only a couple minutes and anything can happen in a split second so it's it's tough to have your head in a computer and typing and try and look up so i like to chicken scratch it and figure out what i wrote later but Mm -hmm. it's, it's worked for me and then uh after the game ends, we immediately go talk with a uh, coach and usually the whatever the star player is, whoever made the big play for the game. Uh, and then usually I'd say about 15, 30 minutes after I have all my quotes set up and the article's ready to get edited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds like a good process. I, I use a similar process when I cover sports as well, you know, writing at halftime or between the third and fourth quarter just because it's important to see those plays and watch, you know, what – what goes on and you know i don't take notes um pen and paper but that's something that i i guess did during track and field but something that maybe i should incorporate for football um but yeah thank you elliot you know seeing that inside look on the women's soccer team was really nice um we'll talk to elliot next week yeah all right now that we've talked to elliot and nina about the state of the women's soccer team and the women's volleyball team who are both you know at some good points in their season, but really need to take another step to get to that next level and make a run in their respective NCAA tournaments. We're going to head on to the Oregon football team. Um, I've had the privilege of going to the two opening games for the season. The first one being in Atlanta. I was there in person. It was an amazing experience to be at the Mercedes Benz stadium covering that game. Uh, And last week against Eastern Washington. Now both games were were blowouts, one being in which Oregon lost, and the other, they blew out Eastern Washington. Uh, kind of the way that I'm looking at this season when I write gamers and I go to these games is I want to uh, tell a story where each gamer game story is a chapter in a book. And it started with, you know, we, the Oregon football team brought on Coach Dan Lanning. He's the offensive coordinator at Georgia. He had one of the best defenses of uh, recent past in collegiate football, a team that uh, held opposing offenses to 10.2 points per game, had 15 NFL players drafted from that team. Some guys like Jordan Davis, who went to the Eagles, Trayvon Walker, the first overall pick. So when Lanning's coming in, the notion is that Oregon should at least be led by a decent defense and the identity will be built through the defense. And then it goes in to Atlanta to play against Georgia and the offense, you know, is struggling to move the ball at first, but they're at least, you know, getting first downs and have something to build off of. Whereas the defense missed 29 tackles is throwing their guys at Georgia's athletes. And I'll be, this is one of the most talented teams in the country, if not the most talented team in Georgia, but just there was a lack of discipline from Oregon's defense. Um, in my story, I wrote about how the identity I thought would be built through defense, but it seems like that's going to need some work. Um, and there weren't a lot of things to take away from that game because of how big of a blowout it was. But I think that just to see Oregon's players learn from a loss and then not underestimate Eastern Washington, come out and you know, put 70 on them and a lot of players getting involved. Two of the things that I like to see the most, you know, were that were weak points against Georgia that became uh, 
I guess, are moving towards strengths against Eastern Washington. It's tough to say that anything was a strength after that game just because the caliber of the team. But Bo Nix looked like he was at least sitting in the pocket, going through his progressions, not forcing many throws. The one throw he forced, as I said in my game story, was Terrence Ferguson that turned into a touchdown off of a tip from the defensive back for Eastern Washington. So Nix looks to be settling in, and he has a plethora of weapons. This is one of the deepest um, offenses in the skill positions for the Ducks in recent memory. Um, you have Troy Franklin and Chase Coda at wide receiver. Um, the, there's four running backs who are all capable of gaining yards, and Terrence Ferguson's looking like a really good tight end option. Uh, as for the defensive side, they were tackling better. There was no one who really led them just because, you know, a lot of guys got in, got chances. But one thing I will say is Christian Gonzalez, everything and anything they expected him to be. He, you know, the guy the guy doesn't get targeted a lot by the quarterback in one-on-one coverage. He's pretty much locked down, and that's going to be tested again when Jaron Hall and the BYU Cougars come into Eugene on Saturday. Um, but yeah, one, one bold prediction I have that I'm going to make uh, in a little bit is about Christian Gonzalez and, you know, where I see go- him going in the draft. But just going back to... <clears throat> the the way that I wanted to build the gamers in in the second game against Eastern Washington, I talk about, you know, them them starting to trust each other. There's a lot of new faces on this Ducks team. So to see them trusting each other, Nick's talked about how important it was for him to get the ball out quickly to, you know, a guy like Troy Franklin who had ten catches for eighty four yards and let him do the rest of the work. Get the ball to Terrence Ferguson who broke a bunch of tackles to get into the end zone twice. So he's getting it out to his playmakers and letting them do the work. As I said in the gamer, you know, I, I don't think Eastern Washington was going to stop Knicks from going downfield, but he wanted to showcase the playbook and get comfortable with it. And I think that was the goal of the game. And I think despite that being not a great opponent, just to see that confidence come from him will be good against BYU. Um, and then just moving into the preview for BYU, I, I caught the last... 20 minutes of this game after the Oregon game was done. So I didn't see much of Jaron Hall as a passer. Um, but I think they have some guys on defense that makes that's going to make this a tough game. I think it'll be a very close battle, and I'm going to pick BYU to win 28-24. to I think they're slightly more disciplined and have a little more chemistry. They know who they are. I think Oregon's still trying to find that identity, but I think it will be one of the better games in Austin Stadium in recent memory. Um, so yeah, I'm going to pick BYU 20 to 24. Um, and the prediction that I wanted to give, you know, just, I, I wrote a story on Christian Gonzalez for the spring game, talked to a lot of his, his family members. And this guy is, you know, he is a knack for football. He's played every position when he was growing up. And, you know, in the recent mock draft, he was, he was a second quarterback, cornerback off the board after Keely Ringo for Georgia. I agree with that ranking. My prediction is Christian Gonzalez is going to be a first-round pick, probably top 20. This guy is a real lockdown cornerback. And to not to you know take anything away from another guy on the Oregon defense, but I think Noah Sewell is kind of going to drop in the draft rankings. I think his, he's more of a downhill north-to-south linebacker, and his east-to-west game is, has a lot of 
you know, work to do. And that's something that can hold you back at the NFL level. So I could see Sewell dropping even out of the second round. Uh, his coverage game is lacking and he needs to figure out how to be better east to west. So just my prediction for today. And I hope you guys, you know, like tuning into this podcast. It's going to be a weekly thing here at the Daily Emerald. I think that one thing that's going to be really cool moving forward is we're going to have more reporters at the football games. And the point of this is to talk about what the student side of talking about sports is like. What's the student side about writing about sports, getting to go and cover these games. You get to see it from a student's point of view. And I think that's different and unique and something that you're not going to get anywhere else. So thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see you guys next week. (laughs)